always about to start and always cough. Professionalism. Never fails, does it? Mm. A professional no. cough. A professional cough, yeah. Not into the microphone. Because no. that's just not professional at all. Unless you cut it out. Really? Well, you're, you're doing this one. I, I am at your mercy. It's the way I like it. <laughs> you ready? Yep. Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Ow! Are you not? No, it's a bit with piggy lip. <laughs> well, that was clever. It wasn't, actually. <laughs> it was neither big nor clever. We go in now. Okay. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Hey, kids, comics! I'm telling you, my spider sense is tingling. Amazing Spider-Man number 129 mint condition. Worth a thousand bucks. Comic book. No, it's not just a comic book. This is the first appearance of the Punisher. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Willow, but it's the fat signal. How do I get it to work? Willpower. Like the Green Lantern's ring. You call comic books. That's so cute. Cute? It's very rugged and manly. Just a bit cute. Huh? I think it's sweet. It must be really hard when all your friends have, like, superpowers. You must feel like Jimmy Olsen. You can't charge innocent people for saving their lives. Spider-Man does. Action is his reward. Hey, kids, comics! Hello, everyone. And welcome to Hey Kids Comics, a comic book podcast where tonight we play games. Yeah. That, that's pretty accurate, isn't pretty it? Accurate. I'm still Andrew Leyland. And I'm still Michael Leyland. We've not changed. We've not morphed. We've not leaped into each other's bodies and you've then killed me and living out my life with my memories, which would probably be a bit gross for you. Mm. I'll swap swapping minds for a two-issue story. Like yeah. That no one really likes. That no one really likes. Bendis. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Wolverine. They turned that into the animated series. Did they? It was awful. Uh, I've I've only seen a couple of episodes of Ultimate Spider. Well, it's not all that great. I've not seen many episodes. Because now he's living in Boston. I'm watching Spectacular Spider-Man. Have you started it? I'm up to episode five. Okay. It's very good. Mm. Very, very good. Better than any of the movies. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are we doing? Oh, we're doing a show. We are. (laughs) On topic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tonight, lovely listener... Michael has the con. I do. Yeah. You are Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. You get to sit in your big swivel chair and look at your big flat screen telly. <laughs> yeah. And there's normally pretty green girls on it. Oh, men with huge heads. Pasty heads. Who go, <laughs> Tranya! And I can say, I don't Kirk, I Kirk. And I sit with my balls out. <laughs> so tonight, Michael has chosen very tenuously, it has to be said. To link the popular game franchise Metal Gear Solid into comics. They did a comic of it. They, That's allowed. They, they did, yes. Under the, the rules of the show, which is a very long document, lovely listener. Yeah, yeah. Multiple pages in length, isn't it? That we wrote off yesterday just to prove that it is. Most of us, and we had to sign it at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. And it's only in rereading it I've realised we broke every single one of those rules. Yeah. <laughs> Rules are meant to be broken. That we came up with at the beginning. The show will never be over an hour. <laughs> Where did that one go? Um, the show will always be on topic. The show will always be one comment from you, one comment from me. 
<laughs> All of that went out the window. Not superhero season will not include superheroes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Very good. There were other rules as well, I can't remember what they were now, but we really broke them. We've we've pretty much yeah, pretty much broke them up. Um I've got nothing this way. I did another Who True Freaks, it was fun. It was all about Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Who rocks. He does. He's your favourite doctor, isn't he? He is, yeah. So, uh, I don't know when that'll be going up. This is two weeks from now, while it you're listening to this. It could have already been up. But it's well worth listening to, because uh, it, was, it was jolly fun. Very fun indeed. Uh, but that's pretty much it. I've got nothing. Yeah. We've not even read any new comics recently, because... This is a five-week month. Yeah. So we're having to wait another week before we can read Superman Unchained and see if it really is as bad. Not the comic. The comic's got quite good reviews. But see if that fold-out thing really is as bad as everyone's been telling us. Oh, yeah, Steve Lewis, he hates it. He's not been able to read the comic yet because of that fold-out cover. I almost bought a variant. Did you? Yeah. Which one? I was watching the Neil Adams one on eBay. Yeah, and up until the last minute, it was still only eight quid, and I was very tempted. Mm. And then at the last minute, it doubled Fair in price, and I was like, "I'm not paying fifteen pounds for a comic." I don't care who did the cover. And then uh, Zero Year has come out as well. Yeah, what is it? What's yeah. Zero Year? The Batman story. Oh, that's not started. Yeah, we've not read the first part of that yet. No. So we've not read any of that. Mm-hmm. We've not read that Dan DiDio's killing Nightwing again. Well, that's not out yet. You're going to have to bleep this. Dan DiDio, f*** off. He he runs his company and uh, I'm sure he's doing a great job of it. And I'm sure he listens to me as well. Yeah, yeah. He may, he probably... He's he's done a a He probably won't kill him. He's he's doing a fantastic job at DC, killing off both the characters and creators. Oh, and indeed the the sales figures. Anyway, actually they're taking a bath on those. You know, I had that little mini rant a couple of weeks ago about the September covers. And how I've ordered one DC comic that month because of it. Yeah. They're taking a bath on that. Okay. They're, it doesn't. For every comic they sell, they're losing money because of those stupid covers. In what world does that make good business sense? So the covers are costing them. Yeah. The covers are costing them. And yet they've done so many of yeah. them. I'm sure that's the re- lovely listener. If you, if I've read that article wrong, tell me. But I'm sure I read. That seems a little bit too silly for you to be right, but you probably are. That I'm sure I've read that for every copy they sell, they're, they're losing money because of those stupid covers. And I'm like, what? I, what? In, how does that make business sense? It doesn't. Flood the market with a ton of Batman titles that we're losing money on. Mm. I, I didn't get it at all. So it is possible that I read it wrong. Well, that just made no sense to me at all. Because as well, if you look at the solicitations, it's an eminently skippable month. Yeah. There is nothing in any of those books that seems to be tying into the ongoing narratives. Well, there's the, the the hero, the villains one, which is essentially the next just yeah, the next big title. crossover. Yeah. yeah. But Apart in terms of say we're reading Batman, which we are, Scott Snyder's Batman Year Zero. Yeah. That's not in any of that. So essentially, it's the Riddler. Is it, how is he issue? part of the Year Zero? Just don't know. Is the Riddler now the first villain Batman ever fought? He probably is. I mean, under new continuity. There's been rumours for a long time that Riddler would be the next bad guy. I don't mind him being the next bad guy. So it might be one of those. I mean, when we all read issue zero, like, well, how are the 
Might be a time Rush Gang going to be part of it and now look at it. Yeah, well, that was good. We were all reading the early ones. We were, we were all, well, you're saying it's good, but it's Scott Snyder who's also doing yeah, but, the Riddler he, issue. Yeah, but he's only co-writing the Riddler issue. And he's not writing any of the other ones. I just looked at the solicitation and thought, this is eminently well, skippable. isn't everyone co-writing the DC I don't know. I, I just kind of lost interest in it as soon as it was like $4, just because of some... 3D cover that 3D really cover that I don't care about, yeah. yeah. Some of them are pretty... I'm sure some of them will look great, but Unless it's I, am, I am so large with the uncurring mm. that it's, it's, it's hard to quantify how much I don't care about gimmick covers. But I've yeah. never cared about gimmick covers, have I? No, you go back through my comics collection in the 90s, if you had a choice of buying a gimmick cover or a regular cover, regular I bought cover. the regular cover. Yeah. Unless the gimmick cover was spectacular. And not one of those dodgy gold foil covers yeah. which you couldn't even see because it was embossed the same colour. Yeah. Or I didn't have a choice. If it was just the gimmick. Yeah, if there was only the gimmick cover and there was no alternative, there was no new stand edition. I would buy the gimmick cover. And it is fun in some cases to go back and look at them again. Like the hologram covers yeah. for Spider-Man's 30th anniversary. They were quite fun. Pretty awful. Though some of them were alright. Depending on how you held them, they were they were quite good. Yeah, if you held them upside down and you were drunk and wild. <laughs> well, anything looks good then, doesn't it? You know, a, a two looks like a nine when all that is brought into play. Anyway, there we go. It just cost us our female listenership yeah. again. I do apologise, lovely listeners, if you're a girl. We don't mean to be offensive. We're just we're just good at it. Well, as you feminists would say, just male chauvinistic pigs. Yes. Spicer's not doing anything to you. <laughs> oh, um, emails. Yeah. Let's move on from that. <laughs> I love women. They're my favourite of the the genders <laughs> uh, two <Wow>. FF books <laughs> but Morbius well that's just fantastic is the subject heading yes glossing away <laughs> moving on it's from the lovely Lou Giaconetti who some say does not have an intro this week <laughs> and that the lack of intro is of it in and of itself an, an intro. intro all we know is he's called Lou Giaconetti is that better that's does that make you yeah. feel Better. Dear future future foundation members, they said that twice. I didn't stumble on my words. Hey, look, Andy Leyland talking about the Fantastic Four. Wait a minute, what show is this? Was that Steve Lacey fella? Why do we have a Beatles song on the outro? I'm so confused. Um, for that week, actually, Stephen was very ill, so I was keeping it on myself. <laughs> no, Steve Quantum left yeah. into you. Yes, he lost his funny London accent. <laughs> <laughs> and became you for an episode. Yeah. And you quantum leapt into him for Who True Freaks. And I just sat in a, in a room on my own just talking to myself because that accent cracks me up. <laughs> uh, Luke's email continues. Matt Fraction seems a good fit for two FF titles. His turn on Iron Man was defined by a series of high concepts, some of which worked really well, the cloud-controlled fleet of hammer drones, and some of which fell flat, start getting drunk as a sacrifice to an ancient deity, but were for the most part very creative. So the Fantastic Four and the Substitute Fantastic Four, high concept should be the order of the day. I like the plot contrivance to put the classic FF off in another dimension, whilst bringing in the alternate FF. This is sort of good contrivance which grabs the reader. I still remain on the outside looking in on the Fantastic Four, much like I was last week on Captain America and Hawkeye, hence no email. 
Great characters, intriguing new concepts, but at the end of the day, I can't really muster up interest to pull the trigger on the purchase. Marvel has burned me too many times for me to invest in books which I do not already have a vested interest in. I do like Mark Aldred's art on FF, though. I'd really like to see him handle the classic Fantastic Four in a vintage-style 60s story. That would be a hoot. Actually, that would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Mike Aldred doing a 60s Marvel Fantastic Four story. That actually would be good. Has it not all been retconned now, though? No, no, all that stuff's still in continuity. No five-year timeline. Not in the Marvel Universe. Do they have a ten-year timeline? They have a ten-year timeline. (laughs) Franklin's eight. Whatever happens, (laughs) Franklin's eight. And if you don't think that he's eight, you're wrong. Everyone's secretly gone through a one more day. Yeah, (laughs) they just don't know about it. Uh, Luke continues, by the way, Scott Lang was brought back to life in the story where Cassie Lang died. Which is pretty lame, but oh well. The Wasp died in Secret Invasion, for the record. Is she back as well, the Wasp? Probably. Alright, so she's not dead now either. Uh, Luke continues, Heroes Reborn did not really fail per se. It was designed as a one-year deal, and a one-year deal it was. Although you mentioned Rob Liffield, he did not work on the FF title. The Jim Lee FF was acclaimed at the time as the one book which actually worked from Heroes Reborn. Never read it, though. Um, the only one I stuck with was Jim Lee's FF work. But even that, I wouldn't say it actually worked... It was readable and enjoyable in that mid-90s comics kind of way. Yeah. But it was very much, uh, we've only got 12 issues, let's crap everything in. So there was no organic storytelling, everything was just balled in from the beginning. Yeah. It was alright, it wasn't bad, but it's oh, you, it's so 90s now. Cause I, I well, looked... wasn't it Marvel the Wildstorm era? Well, it marvelled the image era, because Rob Liffield did two books, Jim Lee did two books. But that itself was a lie. Yeah. Jim Lee didn't do Iron Man. I'm sure that was Wills Potassio, really. Yeah. And Liffield may have been some kind of creative consultant on the Avengers, but I think Jeff Loeb was writing it. Or was that Captain America? That was Captain America. Right. I do know the only one I stuck with was Fantastic Four, so take from that what you will. Mm. I just thought Captain America was awful under Rob Liffield. Captain Booby. We've got one issue with that, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. It was terrible. Don't you have a graphic novel? Not of Rob Liffield's Captain America, no. Uh, Enjoy your coverage of Marvel now, concludes Luke, even though I'm not reading most of the titles. Looking forward to the superior Spider-Man. I still recommend Iron Man, of course. Luke, P.S. Love the use of the Moonraker music. Thank you very much. No, that's not Moonraker. Is it not? That's Goldfinger. Ah. He means the score, because you don't listen (laughs) to the show. Goldfinger. (laughs) Moonfinger. Oh, no, I'm not even going to Moonfinger. I'm just I'm just not having any of that. Our next email is from Rob Stubbs. It's called It's Totally Fantasticastic, which I like. Yeah. That's a good pun. It's a good play on words. It's a fantasticastic pun. It is. That's good, that. I like that. Hello to the Leyland clan and every one of you, including Andrew and Michael. Well, there's only you and I here today. Yeah. So. But thank I'll, you. Hello. I'll, Hello, Rob. We'll thank you on behalf of the other one. Yeah, the other one said thank you. Even Hi, not here. I'm on you. Hello. I thought it was Adam. I'm Adam. Oh, yeah, that's better. I'm and Mum. <laughs> that sounds just like Adam. Your impression reservoir run dry, though. Yeah, I, I either do. Oh, this is one impression. Well, this is the other impression. Why did that sound like Mickey Mouse saying, come on, Pluto? Huh? <laughs> you from DreamWorks? Huh? <laughs> Should we carry on with the email? <laughs> Before we, we reach 90 minutes, let alone 30. Doing a Disney impression, you might sue you. No, not in Marvel. It's all perfectly acceptable now. Yeah. They're all friends together. Are they? Uh, yeah. As long as they're paying each other. As long as they're... Well, no, there's no payment now. They're all buddies. 
Uh, let me start off by saying that the show has completely changed my life, making me a better person, taller, stronger, faster, fatter, smarter, and all those other things you might see in a 3am commercial for any number of products. I'd like to claim that, but it's not totally true. I would sure like to share an inspirational tale with you, like some of your other listeners have done, but I don't have one. I'm not even being snarky, even though some people could possibly misconstrue my typed words as such. I look forward to the show coming out every Thursday a great deal, as it gives me a good deal of enjoyment to listen to you, Andrew, and Michael discuss what books you are dealing with at the moment. (laughs) I like the way you read that. It's a great deal of enjoyment listening to you, Andrew. And Michael. (laughs) Yeah, your shoe on (laughs) there. Fast forward through your bits, too. (laughs) Skip the next two weeks. The enjoyment does make my day better. If I was a narcissistic personality, I would claim I tune in to hear you read my emails, but that statement contains a tiny little bit of truth. The reason I email in is to have a discussion with you guys, because you've made me want to get involved. And there is an ocean between us, so if I make you guys mad at me, I have that as a defence from showing up at my door and punching me in the face. We wouldn't punch somebody for disagreeing with us. No, just beat you up a little more. Yeah, you're allowed to disagree with us. Mm. We, we, we encourage disagreement. Yes. I like disagreement. After all, you can't make everyone be right. That's true. And, you know, there's only room for us to be right. Exactly. Everyone else has to be wrong. Well, yeah. Or right with us. Yeah. It's not that everyone else should win. It's that. No, I said that wrong. It's not that everyone... It's not that everyone else should lose, but I should win or something. Oh, Superman 3 and I can't bloody remember it. What is it? I've always wanted to fly. (laughs) Kent. (laughs) It's not enough that I succeed it's that everybody else must fail right. something like that isn't it yeah. that's actually a proper quote from somebody it's not just from Superman 3 from a real person yeah um, where were we oh yes Rob's email Fantastic Four is a hard book to write for I think uh, for a lot of comics talent as the core concept is about family and not a dysfunctional family like the Bundys we got married with children I get our reference yeah Al Bundy he's sitting with his hands down his pants huh? playing with his knob Okay. You know, I remember, you, you were remember Married with Children? Yeah. Oh, do you? Why? You used to watch it with you. I used to know when I watched it in Florida, didn't I? Well, no, we watched it here. Did we? Yeah. Every morning it was on in Orlando at 6.30 in the morning. Because I, I get up quite early as a rule. So I would watch Married with Children for half an hour. Because then Angel was on after it. Yeah. That was a good morning's TV. <laughs> Married with Children followed by Angel. A little bit of a contrast. And this is before you, before 8 o'clock in the morning, before you even go out to the theme park. <laughs> you could watch the Married with Children and Angel. It's great. Absolutely fantastic. It was the episode of Angel with the ballet. Yeah. With the Joker faces. Good, that one. I like that one. Anyway, carrying on with Rob's email. I know the Fantastic Cast podcast, which I also enjoy listening to, has some British guys whose names I don't recall, showing the early days where the FF were a lot more dysfunctional, with someone routinely worrying about another member going on a destructive rampage. Why did no one ever worry about Reed Richards going on a destructive rampage? That's a good question, that. Yeah. Nobody ever bothered about the fact that Reed may have been the one to go on a destructive rampage. I'm going to combine my commentary for both books as one flows into the other. I'm glad they don't go into the very complicated history of Flank- Franklin Richards or the even more complicated history of his sister Valeria. None of that is necessary for the story taking place here. The three Herbie-influenced Mombots were incredibly creepy. They sort of remind me of that robot nanny Magneto used to take care of the X-Men when he had them imprisoned. Franklin has used up all his powers before, at least once, but the energy recharges, so him having what could be a prophetic dream, it's possible. I don't think Johnny is stupid, oh no, I think he is, but just has a narrow set of interests, which include cars, spaceships, girls, using his powers, girls, and going out and having fun. That sounds pretty neat. That does sound like a teenage boy. 
everything outside of that he has trouble paying attention to. One of my questions is related to the big moment with the box he gives Della in the pocket dimension that contains his direct line. Does he have another phone number so he gives to women he might want to see once or twice that then goes to a separate line so they don't bother him after he gets bored of them? It's someone else's phone number. He gives them their <laughs> And then if somebody wants to talk to him, he'll say to Ben, I'm here. Yeah. And then if it isn't, he'll say, yeah, I'm not here. Don't, don't, don't pass that phone to me, Ben. Ben! I died in the, in the negative zone. Yeah. Again. The building Ben goes to clearly states the grim community centre on the outside. I can't believe we missed that. I so totally believe we missed we that. We go to all this effort to do the show, and then we miss that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rob, for pointing that out, and also thank you for not saying you guys are dumb. Well, because he's, both he's of us missed that. that. Yeah, yeah, both of us missed that. So thank you for pointing that out. I'm certain some portion of the Yancey Street gang deliberately lured him in there while another was using the place for fights to put on the internet. One of the things I wasn't aware of until I read it in the Marvel Universe handbook is that Ben was the leader of the Yancey Street gang at one point. Him getting out is the source of animosity directed his way, which makes everything a lot clearer. That does make more sense, doesn't it? As evidence of Johnny not actually being stupid, I point to him using the Yancey Street gang as cover for some of his pranks. Yes, he did that in Mark Ware's run, didn't he? Yeah. He, he pretended he was the Yancey Street gang. I think the story motivation of finding a cure for Reed's condition as cover for being a family adventure also worked well. Again, the FF is about family, and we have some good extended family moments, such as the broken table being replaced by the bathtub car. I think the FF book necessarily has to be weaker than the Fantastic Four, as the events that happen there are a direct result of what's going on in the Fantastic Four. If they weren't leaving Earth, there's no need for a second cookbook. It's interesting who the FF go on to to provide cover. Reed Richards goes to Scott Lang, whose daughter has been killed. Scott figures out Reed's condition, and Reed says he wants a cure not for his sake, but for his wife, his best friend, and his annoying brother-in-law. Plus the broader aspect that this could affect the children. Sue goes to Medusa as her replacement, as they are both queens and the female presence in their respective families. They have a good conversation, which I can't recall, as women talking to each other whilst not talking about me is uninteresting. <laughs> like Dr. Octopus! Yeah. <laughs> Rob is Dr. Octopus. <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah. Uh, ben goes to Jennifer, who teases him with the tossing of the water bottles in his direction, which he squishes each time. I didn't really care for the art as far as the depiction of Jennifer Walters. She's not her cousin, but a large, svelte woman, not just some muscular freak. And the end line of that is from somewhere, but I can't recall what. Johnny goes to Darla and gets distracted by a squirrel and forgets to ask her to be his replacement. What drags the second book down below the first is clearly the art, as the story in both is perfectly fine. I could probably find more to say, but good night to you British people with your strange ways of spelling words like colour and honour and flower. Your American pal signing off. P.S. I think the story in Fantastic Four where Reed is remembering meeting Susan, Ben and Johnny for the first time is a wonderful story, which again emphasises the Fantastic Four is about family. R.L. Stubbs Jr. Thank you, Rob. We're glad that uh, we engage you in conversation. Mm-hmm. That's what the show's for, isn't it? I guess. In many we, should, ways. we should have a phone line segment of the show. Should we where people can phone? People. Do you know what I've been thinking? Go on. Michael does not know this, lovely list. I do not know. I have been thinking of putting the call out there. Right. We'll do a Q&A show. People send us questions. We say, right, in five shows' time or something, All right. we're going to do a Q&A. Yeah. Where you can email in with a question. No more than three per person, or two per person, or whatever. I've not finalised the details. Three's a good one. Yeah. Because three, we could go a question for me, a question for you, so that neither one of us ends up getting more questions than the other, and then a question either for both of us or for the extended family. Right. And maybe all five of us could sit down and do that one. 
within the boundaries of good taste, yeah. you can ask us anything you want. Yeah, Andrew, what's your favourite position? We, we know we have the right to veto <laughs> question, unless they're asking what's my favourite position to read comics. Of course. In which case the answer to that question is lying down with the comic in front of me, not being held, because holding it creases it. Okay. So I like I like lying on the floor, don't I? Yeah. Reading my comics. In fact, we've got a picture of me and you mm-hmm. when you were very little of me lying down reading a Superman comic and you lying down next to me looking through a comic. I don't think you were actually old enough to read pictures. You were, yeah, but you were looking through. I think it was a Superman Adventures comic. Yeah. From the animated series. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, that sounds good. I know that sounds like a great. All right. Okay. Right. Well, I'll mention it on first place as well. Yeah. This is a call. As the Foo Fighters put it. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a Q&A episode. Just this spontaneously <laughs> came. Yes, that we, we just haven't been speaking about it. We, that, that, that was only thinking about it the other day when I was off for a run. Fair enough. I thought, they're good shows then. And plus, let's work. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm always all for. We're going to do a Q&A episode. Email us your questions. No more than three. One for me, one for Michael, one for the extended family or all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, People, if you've never listened, never listened. If you've never listened, you're never going to listen to this, are you? No. If you've never emailed in before, this Now's is your chance to email in. Because yeah, so some questions from people that we've never heard from would be nice as well, yeah. as well as our lovely regulars. Are we going to do the questions, the forum, the email, or Facebook? No email. Right. Okay. No forum questions. No right. Facebook questions. Email only. Because okay. it's easier to keep track there. Because yeah. if people Facebook questions to me, I'll forget where they are. You know what I'm like. Mm forget what conversations I had yesterday so we want to do a Q&A show so email 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 is the What's only the way deadline uh, oh god what, what do you think I don't know this will only go up in two weeks which will be the 11th of July so if we say the 1st of August alright 1st of August is your deadline to get your questions in because then we could do that show the week after which yeah. would be the 7th of August we could do a Q&A show that would be fun Mm-hmm. I think provided we if we don't do it we didn't get any questions yeah. <laughs> so the six people who listen regularly and the other four that listen regularly that never get in touch with us so yeah that's, that's our listenership yeah. <laughs> uh, our next email we're going to go over 30 minutes today because that distracted me I do apologise if you don't like the email section um, it's not like you pay or anything uh, a little yeah. civility is the email subject headed it's from Damien Lee hello Damien Hello, Lalian Senior and Junior. A bit of catch-up for me as I've been listening to your last few shows out of order so I could reread Spider-Man Blue and Civil War. I'm currently listening to Blue, <laughs> not the song, and wonder if you're going to reference Loeb and Sales' brilliantly subtle nods to MJ, knowing all along that Peter was Spider, one of my favourite things about this series. I hadn't read it for at least six years until you prompted me to, so thanks very much. And yes, that hardback edition is true shelf pop. Sadly, mine isn't signed. Now I need to reread Daredevil Yellow and Hulk Grey. But we're reading Daredevil Yellow. Yeah. In a week, so keep Daredevil Yellow to hand. Hold up, you just discussed the MJ Knowledge retcon. Maybe I read it differently, because I took her dialogue and sales facial expressions as definitive confirmation that MJ knew about Peter's web swinging. Maybe that's just me. No, Dave, that's the beauty of art, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's all in the interpretation. Damien interpreted the story as confirmation that MG knew from the beginning. Yeah. We, or certainly I did, I interpreted it as Loeb playing it safe. Yeah. Could go either way. If you want to read it as she understands, you can do. Works if you want to read it that she doesn't know, that works as well. So no, that's art. And art is open to In the very of the holder. different interpretations, correct? Which is what I told my art examiner. And they graded you a, a C. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe in the eye of the beholder, but this is an exam. Yes. Okay, fair enough. 
Damien continues, prior to that episode I've been ironing whilst listening to your Marvel Now 2 podcast, The Exciting Life of a Teacher in His 30s. After the email section, I felt I had to drop you a little note. One, defending Civil War. <laughs> yes, it's true. Am I just being a contrarian? Well, a little bit, but somebody's got to play devil's advocate, don't oh, they? we can't escape it. No, I don't. It's, it's the topic that won't die. I know, yeah. This is worse than G.I. Joe. I know, at least G.I. Joe, I was like, all right, I'm interested in checking out this G.I. Joe well, thing. at least yeah. it died after a couple of weeks. Oh, it's not. It's not died. It's just on the back because we've said we will do a G.I. Joe show at some point. Yeah. We're waiting for Luke and, and J. David Weta to tell us which issues they want us to do. That's purely down to them. They're going to recommend us two good issues. I think J. David did. Yeah. But I think he did it via Facebook, which means I won't be able to find that message. I think it was 24. Anyway, moving on. Damien says... I'll start with the easiest line of defence, the art. Whilst McNiven is no Alan Davis or Jim Chung, his art is often stunning. His line work brilliant and clear storytelling, not something a lot of AAA artists excel at. It's phenomenal. His anatomy absolutely made the series for me. I'd first seen him on the Marvel Knights 4 series, which I still don't understand in terms of continuity. He has probably looked better because he hasn't used such a controlled inker, letting his lines be less solid. But he is still deserving of his superstar status. Now, I'm not disagreeing with any of your points that the characters behave in unlikely ways to service the story, but sometimes isn't that okay? As you mentioned, Civil War was the biggest selling comment of the decade, still not topped, I think, and generated a huge amount of stories within the Marvel Universe. Look up the hilarious comic should be good column on the absurdity of the speedball penance. It's genuinely hilarious and was done in continuity too. Yes, a lot of them were about making the new status quo work, but they were exciting, interesting, and felt that there was actual change happening in the universe instead of a Star Trek The Next Generation style reset every issue. Yes, Miller's motive may have been creatively bankrupt, but having just sold the series to someone new to Marvel, because I'm just realising there is little reason to own the original issues and the collection of comics unless they're from my comics golden age of the late 80s, mid-90s. They loved it, and have since lapped up House of M, Secret Invasion and more, so if it had a goal of broadening the audience and getting people interested in Marvel comics, then it definitely does its job. That's a, that's a solid argument. Mm. It doesn't defend Civil War, but a couple of people, including Hope, mentioned to me that this was the first thing they read and they loved it. And in my head, that makes sense. Because yeah. this is the first exposure to the Marvel Universe. You don't know that the characters are woefully out of character. Because you've no frame of so reference. It, it so the story for works for you. So as long as you've not read any of the Marvel <clears throat> comic, it's a great story. But Damien's argument, therefore, is it did bring a lot of new readers in. And that's fur. Because yeah. they won't have read anything prior to Civil War. And Civil War probably made them go, ooh, shine it. I like how he defended the story, though, without defending the story. Yeah. Very clever. I absolutely agree, continues Damien, that much of the character work was better done in the individual characters' titles, especially Spider-Man. And the continuity mistakes are infuriating, although less so now, I'm not a teenage boy. But it, boy, boy, it's still a blockbuster story that set the ball rolling for the rest of the decade. So no, I don't disagree with you, but I can't help but see the benefits that Civil War brought Marvel by reinvigorating sales and creative teams. Do I prefer other crossovers? My gosh, yes. I'm a few issues into Age of Ultron and loving it, especially not knowing how it's going to end. Are the Marvel Now books more cohesive and enjoyable? Yes, but I've read those that I've read, at least, and I have to defend Uncanny Avengers. It may be big here as the new status quo after Avengers X-Men, but it still feels like it's playing with big ideas and big events without being an event book. The one thing that bothers me about them is how on earth they're going to slot all together in continuity, particularly the two core Avengers book and Bendis X-Men title. As ever, loving the show. Love the show, Steve. Uh, every episode reinvigorates my reading pleasure. I've recently decided after abandoning Spider-Man post-war mood day. Mood day. <laughs> Spider-Cow. <laughs> 
Spider Ham and Spider Cow. One moody. I have held a grudge long enough and grabbed the first slot Ultimate Collection and Spider Island. I'm quite excited to jump back in and bring myself up to date with Superior. Perhaps I need to edit this email, it's somewhat scattershot, but I still have shirts and uniforms to iron. Keep up the entertaining work, a dedicated and grateful listener, Damien. P.S. Oh, Damien has a P.S. Uh, Valeria Richards, good grief. Prompted by your conversation, I googled her and her origins are appallingly convoluted and complicated. Chris Clermont was involved, so suffice to say rumour was too. I always assumed she was just Sue and Reed's kid, but apparently not. If you want to see more devout continuity nerds than most, go mad. And to think, one more day put me off Spider-Man for six years. Fantastic Four was one now title I found a little dull. The concept was nice, but it seemed to set up a big old Deus Ex ending. It was fine, but didn't feel essential. I'll wait for the Hickman omnibus, as I used to love Bagley. But to me, these days, I've become more aware of his limitations. Glad to hear you liked it, though. But let's be honest, no one can do the FF and match the burn run. Ooh, controversial. Uh, final email. We've got one email left. Should we do it? We're at 30 minutes. If you like Go on. This one is from Robert Ludwig. Marvel Civil War and Spider-Man. <laughs> that was me backing you back against the table. If a listener emails in with Civil War, we just won't read it. No, no, we're not doing that. I will skip the Civil War bits. No, no. If people have something to say, then this is the forum for saying it. The email section is the section of the show. Yeah. It's the lovely listener's chance to get in touch with us and say, You're wrong, and here's why. <laughs> Which is fine, I don't mind that at all. Mm-hmm. But I have no problem with that. I was just going to say something really controversial, but I changed my mind at the last minute. No, I'm not going to bother. Howdy to the Laylands. No, no, you're alright. Man of Steel's the best superhero movie ever. <laughs> um, <coughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I have. <laughs> if you ever wanted to get people to say you're wrong and here's why, I think I just did it. <laughs> You can leave it in if you want. Okay, come on. <laughs> oh, the Dark Knight Rises is wonderful. <laughs> that made you laugh more. <laughs> Dark Knight Rises is better than the Avengers. <laughs> you can't stay with the straight I God. Excuse me for coughing into the microphone. No, I couldn't keep a straight face when I said that, could I? <laughs> oh, my belly hurts. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Robert emails in with howdy to the Leyland. Howdy, Robert. I do apologise that your email caused us to collapse into a fit of giggle. <laughs> I've been meaning to write in since you did your Civil War coverage. However, between work, coaching my son's T-ball team, getting ready for Disney World, going to Disney World, meeting Scott Gardner, coming home to more work, etc., I did not find the time. That I kept losing my notes. But I have a little time and little notes. Granted, I have a hard time reading some of my own handwriting and not fully remember some of the titles I noted, but I will press on. Did you have a good time at Disney World? I think is the question we need to ask. Mm. We had a good time at Disney World. They should have, but I recorded it and put it up as a podcast. Yeah, you and Scott should have recorded you walk around Disneyland. We did, didn't we? we? Did, yeah. <laughs> ah, the memories. Yeah. Oh, it should have gone upside down! Shut up! <laughs> Tower of Terror did not go upside down. You're right, it didn't. The Rock and Roller Coaster Shut up, I enjoyed that, though. <laughs> Anyway, Civil War, quickly, we're running, we're well over the email we'll deadline. Civil War, I remember this fondly, says Robert. This is about the only mega crossover event I had really any interest in. I regularly got all the Spider-Man titles at the time, however I also picked up all the Civil War books and the Frontline books. I spent way too much money, although I will say that I enjoyed the story at the time. 
I've not gone back to reread it, although I may try to later this year. I did enjoy your take on the book, pointing out things I missed, like Nitro not being caught. Well, I did catch at least some of the political ideas in the book. It was just taking items from everyday life. At the airport, we have the ever-intrusive TSA, especially after 9-11. Also, everywhere you go, everything is about the safety of children. Well, I don't want my son or any child to get hurt, or worse, sometimes things go a little too far. An example is coaching T-ball. The younger kids, my son is five, and did get to fight Darth Vader at Disney. After use a ball that looks like a baseball but he's more rubbery and bounces. These kids don't hit the ball hard or throw hard so I don't understand why to use this particular ball. Anyway, back to Civil War. Something that came out of it for me personally, I was never an Iron Man fan. I think growing up I had one Iron Man comic book and that was given to me by one of my relatives for something to read. After reading Civil War I could not stand Tony Stark Iron Man. In fact it was not until 2011 I watched the first Iron Man movie as I could not stand what Tony had done in the comics and to Spider-Man Peter Parker. I don't know why. It's a fictional character but I couldn't stand him so I was not going to watch him in anything. Glad I finally stopped my stance in time to see The Avengers. Which as we all know is not as good as The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> when I go back to read... <laughs> It should have been for the second time round, but now, dear Linda, lovely listener, I've got tears in my eyes. <laughs> oh, tonight's going to be one of those shows, isn't it? Sorry, Rob. I do apologise. That's not you. That's us being stupid. <laughs> When I go back to read Civil War, continues Robert, whenever that is, I will definitely be looking at it slightly differently. I hope that my enjoyment of the overall stories does not wane too much since you brought up so many good points of how the characters were written so out of character. Really quick, I want to do a little gripe about the 2012 Amazing Spider-Man movie. I never saw it in theatres, as nothing online nor the trailers really made me want to see it. Even being a huge Spider-Man fan, I just could not do it. Then fate stepped in and made sure I would not see the movie in the theatre. I fell off a ladder and injured my back. I'm much better now, as that was almost a year ago, and will probably be over a year by the time you read this extra long email. I finally saw the movie on cable one night and was glad I did not pay money to see it. My biggest gripe is how he gets his powers. He walks into a lab experiment, starts messing around with the spider's webs and then they bite him. This is not an accident, this is stupidity. At least in the Raimi movie, an experimental spider came down and bit him because he was there. Anyway, keep up the good work. I enjoy the singing, at least a little bit. Oh, and all the stories you cover. Robert Ludwig. P.S. Wolf. There's a question mark. Does he want us to cover more Airwolf? Does he want us to do an Airwolf show? Does he want us to sing the Airwolf theme? That's copyright fantastic cast. I can't do that. Didn't we do it first? Uh, possibly. I don't know. But Stephen Lacey brought in his expensive... Yeah, his highly paid lawyers, yeah. Um, and he sent a lovely picture of his son fighting Darth Vader with lightsabers, which is awesome, because we've got a great picture of your sister doing much the same thing. Yeah. That's fantastic from Disneyland. I never got to do it. You didn't get to do it? Adam and you did. Yeah. You Look, were off doing something with your mum? I was too old to start the training. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I did like that. Anyway, we've run over. I'm sure some people won't be happy about that, but sell of it. Um, yes, uh, quick break. Metal Gear Solid, Michael takes the card. We'll be right back. One movement in time. <laughs> I rise. This is better than the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I killed me. You want another drink? No, I'm still halfway through this one, thank you. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. We're all alive. I feel like 
it's so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And in half, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You perfects can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the Fantastic is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. I think shall sustain until it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com I'm no hero. Never was. Never will be. You haven't changed at all, Snake. And we're back. Yes, we are. And uh, this week, I got to decide what we'd be covering. Uh, next week, too, as a matter of fact. So if you like, you can skip over that, too. I won't mind. Just be a little angry. <laughs> so you won't mind, but you'd be a bit angry and sad. Yes, I, I won't mind, but I lock myself in my room and listen to My Chemical Romance with uh, Rick Jones. Um... And this week, and next as well, like I said, I decided to go with a 12-issue series called Metal Gear Solid. Now, some of you might be thinking, but Michael, isn't that a game? I know what you're thinking. Yeah. And you're right. And you're right. Uh, And others might be thinking, I have no idea what it is, so I'll be skipping these episodes. Now, well, dear listeners, it is a video game, you're right. And uh, wait, other dear listeners, for what I'm about to share with you is some awesome, in my opinion, tactical espionage action based on Hideo Kojima's groundbreaking video game. We've met him. We have, actually, yeah. Uh, Kojima himself was born in Setagaya, Tokyo in 1963 and went from wanting to be an illustrator to being a writer, writing around 400 page short stories for magazines that only accepted 100 pages, before moving on to creating movies with an 8mm camera. During college, Kojima started playing video games and was inspired by Shigeru Miyamoto Super Mario Bros and Yuji Horii's Portapai Serial Murder Case to make his own games. Giving up his dreams of being a director, Kojima joined Konami's MSX home computer division team in 1986 as the designer and planner. The first game he worked on was Penguin Adventure. The man who uh, went on to create Metal Gear Solid worked on a game called Penguin Adventure, uh, which was the sequel to Arctic Adventure as assistant director, a game where you play as a penguin. Yeah, everyone's got to start somewhere, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. In 1987, Kojima released Metal Gear for the MSX2. Metal Gear told the story of Solid Snake, a soldier still green and member of Foxhound, who is still unfamiliar with battle as he infiltrates an enemy base known as Outer Heaven after his ally, Grey Fox, goes within Outer Heaven and goes missing. Fox's last words were Metal Gear. 
Leading Snake in his mission was Big Boss, who rather clumsily forgot vital information that nearly got Snake killed several times. Snake then rescued Grey Fox, discovered Metal Gear, and destroyed it before Outer Heaven started the self-destruct timer. During Snake's escape, he came across the legendary mercenary of Outer Heaven, Big Boss himself. The two fought, and Big Boss was defeated, allowing Snake to escape. Following Metal Gear's success in Japan, an NES version was ported and released in the US with major differences, including a new forest opening sequence, and that Kojima was not involved in. Meanwhile, back in Japan, Kojima released his next game, Snatcher, in 1988. Snatcher was essentially Blade Runner and the Terminator rolled into one game. The game would follow Junker agent Jillian Cedar and his partner Metal Gear Mark II, which was one of the first mentions of another of his games that would create a larger world. As he investigates a number of murders and the robots known as Snatchers who kill people, disguise themselves, and then impersonate them. So it's the invasion of the body terminators. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, in 1990, Snake's Revenge was released to a Western audience as a uh, direct sequel to the NES version of Metal Gear rather than the MSX version. Snake's Revenge had no involvement from Kojima at all and has nothing to do with the main Metal Gear story and was the first of the games to be considered non-canon. On a train ride home, Kojima bumped into a developer of Snake's Revenge who practically begged Kojima to make a real sequel. And by the time Kojima got off the train, he'd already planned out Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, which was released in 1990 in Japan for the MSX2. Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake focused on story, whereas the first one didn't, and created a new intricate story about the effects of war and had more characterization, allowing the players to actually care about Snake. The game was set in 1999, where the Cold War had just thawed out, and, due to a series of disasters, oil was at an all-time low. Czech scientist Dr. Keo Murph had just discovered a way to use algae to produce petroleum-grade hydrocarbons with little effort. After presenting this in a conference in the US, Murph was kidnapped by Outer Heaven soldiers and taken back to Outer Heaven, which was now situated in the Central Asian state, Zanzibar Land. It is discovered that the leaders of Outer Heaven plan to hold the world hostage by controlling the world's oil resources and stockpiling the only nukes left in the post-Cold War world. Solid Snake was then brought out of retirement by the new Foxhound Commander, Colonel Roy Campbell. Snake infiltrated Outer Heaven and rescued the scientists until he was attacked by the new type of Metal Gear, Metal Gear D, which was piloted by Grey Fox. Snake, having learned that Outer Heaven was once again run by Big Boss, who had been rebuilt with early models of Snatcher parts, defeated the Metal Gear and had a fistfight with Grey Fox in a minefield. After killing Fox, Snake was captured by Big Boss and having lost all of his equipment due to a fire started by the explosion of the Metal Gear D, had to create a makeshift flame for using a cigarette lighter and lacquer spray and killed Big Boss. After the incident was over, Snake refused Campbell's offer to rejoin Foxhound and disappeared into the Alaskan wilderness, never to be seen again. If he was never to be seen again, we've got no more sequels. Well... <laughs> Uh, despite the success of the original two Metal Gear games in Japan and the success of the NES version, the originals were never released outside of Japan until they were released um, as extras on the re-release of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, known as Subsistence in 2006. Following Metal Gear 2, Kojima remade Snatcher for the PC under the name of Snatcher Romantic, which would be ported to a Sega CD as the game's official English version. In 1994, he released Police Knots, a sci-fi noir game set in space colonies, which is considered to be a spiritual sequel to Snatcher. Police Knots, whilst overlooked, would become a very important driving force behind the sequel to Metal Gear 2, Metal Gear Solid. 
Police Nars introduced three characters who would be seen again in Metal Gear Solid franchise, but only one would have a main role. Meryl Silverberg in Police Nars led a small group of Foxhound members and had a Foxhound tattoo on her arm, which is seen in Metal Gear Solid. This character would have a main role in Metal Gear Solid, and almost exactly the same, only not a member of Foxhound for the reasons that will become clear when we reach MGS's story. Isn't that where that anything becomes clear in Metal Gear Solid? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I wrote a lot on the uh, earlier games because a lot of them are important for Metal Gear Solid, like Grey Fox and Zanzibar Land. Yeah, because all that's mentioned in this one. Yeah. Um, Japanese artist Yoji Shinkawa, who we've met, uh, joined Konami in 1994 and was the first artist to ever receive an S grade on their portfolio at the age of 23. Does that mean he was bad? No, an no, S. In the Japanese alphabet, an S is before an A. Right, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Shinkawa's first job was working as a debugger for the PC-98 version of Police Notes, but worked as a graphic designer for the following re-releases. Shinkawa's concept art for Solid Snake and Meryl Silverberg, as well as the Metal Gear Solid version of Fox Sound, can be found within the Police Notes pilot disc for the 3DO. These illustrations would land Shinkawa the job of working as main concept artist for MGS. Kojima planned to release Metal Gear 3 for the 3DO Interactive Multiplayer in 1994, but due to the declining support for the 3DO, development was shifted to the PlayStation. It was decided that the game should be retitled to Metal Gear Solid, as the MSX titles weren't very well known. Uh, Solid has three meanings in the title, a reference to the main character Solid Snake, the new use of 3D graphics, and Konami's rivalry with Company Square. Development began in mid-95 with the intent of creating the best PlayStation game ever, and so adjustments were made to every detail such as individually designed desks. Developers were also trained by SWAT members because if the players are tricked into believing that the world is real, then there's no point in making the game. Uh, Metal Gear Solid was then revealed to the public at E3, an annual video game convention in 1997, with a short video and was later playable for the first time at Tokyo Game Show in 1998, and officially released in Japan the same year. In 1999, Solid Snake is brought out of retirement by Roy Campbell to infiltrate Shadow Moses Island in Alaska, a nuclear warhead disposal facility that has been taken over by an organisation calling themselves Sons of Big Boss, and made up of Foxhound members led by Liquid Snake. Metal Gear Solid is, to many fans, the first Metal Gear game, which comes uh, from this being the first of a worldwide release that stayed the same. Whilst mentioning previous characters and events, this is also a fresh start, and recap stories of the first two games were included in Metal Gear Solid, was re-released with extra content and a new game, MGS Integral, and was remade for the Nintendo GameCube as the Twin Snakes in 2004, a remake that split the fanbase down the middle due to bad voice acting, over-the-top cinematics, and a god-awful character designs. MGS was followed what you going to say? I was just going to say... Game fans don't sound that different to comics fans. <laughs> We're all the same. MGS was followed by three numbered sequels. MGS 2, Sons of Liberty for the PS2 in 2001. MGS 3, Snake Eater for the PS2 in 2004. And MGS 4, Guns of the Patriots in 2008 for the PS3. As well as uh, the newly announced MGS 5, The Phantom Pain for the PS4. Not only this, but also two unnumbered games uh, for the PSP, uh, Portable Ops and Peace Walker, two Metal Gear Acid games for the PSP, and Metal Gear Rising Revengers for the PS3, as well as Ghost Babel for the Game Boy Color, several of which has been re-released several times for multiple platforms. 
MGS2 followed MGS1, but introduced a new protagonist, Raiden, as a meta-textual link between the player and the character. MGS3 introduced a new storyline, taking place in 1964, where the player controls Naked Snake before he becomes Big Boss in a pre-Metal Gear Cold War. MGS4 then returned to Solid Snake, now Old Snake, in his last game as he stops the shadowy group known as the Patriots, who were introduced in MGS2, and shown in more depth in 3 and then later Peace Walker. 4 was the ultimate conclusion to the Metal Gear story, and reeked of Kojima's wants to kill off the franchise. So of course, this was followed by another game, Peace Walker, originally released for the PSP but ported to consoles in a HD remake, which focuses on Naked Snake becoming Big Boss, working against the young Patriots and creating his organisation that will soon become out of heaven. Following this, and after failed attempts from Kojima Productions, Platinum Games collaborated with Kojima Productions to create an action-based game featuring Raiden in the Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. This year also saw the confirmation of Ground Zeroes and Phantom Pain, the two games that will make Metal Gear Solid V, that link Peace Walker and Metal Gear with Big Boss becoming the war-torn, mentally ill scumbag we were introduced to in the first time we saw him. But now we return to the beginning of Solid Snake's worldwide fame with Metal Gear Solid. Now I spent the past 10 minutes or so bickering on about video games and a comic podcast and bored several listeners out there and I apologise for this, but this is now where we link Metal Gear to comics. In 2004, IDW began publishing a 12-issue series based on Metal Gear Solid written by Wildstorm writer and IDW co-founder Chris Aprisco with art by Australian artist Ashley Wood. Now for this coverage, I played all four games for the entire story and then uh, one again whilst reading the comics that I know where things have been changed or added, which happens quite a bit due to retcons in later games. And I'm still playing the first one. Yeah. There'll be sound clips later. There will be sound clips through this episode of me playing the game. I find it quite infuriating. A little bit, A little bit infuriating. But uh, to play the game, I had to also read the comics, because the comics are an adaptation of the game. Mm -hmm. Alas. So... Another way of reading the comics is the um, digital comic known as A Band Destiny, which is essentially an animated comic of this series. Alright, have we got that? No. All right. We will do when my birthday comes. Oh, I see. Alright, fair enough. Okay. So, in playing the game... I've also been reading the comics pretty concurrently to where I'm up to in the game. Yeah. The the version of the game we've got is, was it a free download off the PlayStation well, it Network? It wasn't a free one, I had to pay for it. Right. But we have the ported uh, version for the PS3. Right, so it's the PlayStation 1 game, Yeah. but reconfigured to play on a PS3. It's not reconfigured, right? it's just, yeah. So the controls are crap. No, you... <laughs> <laughs> no, I find the controls to be crap. Yeah, yeah. People were playing this in 1998 with no problem. Well, that was 1998, dude. We've moved on. Well, surely if we've moved on, we should be able to do it no problem. No, no, that's, that's just not how it works. Things don't, are not backwards compatible. Because, at least in, in because, my well, well, the Xbox One isn't. No, that's true. Uh, issue number one. Yes, issue number one has five covers, all by Ashley Wood. The first is of Solid Snake aiming a machine gun in front of the Gatling gun of Metal Gear Rex. The second is of a very Asian-looking Meryl Silverberg, a cover showcasing the members of Foxhound with Psycho Mantis taking up three quarters of the page, a portrait of Snake, and a final one of Snake shooting his SOCOM at the reader. Uh, it looks like a guy's got a Gatling gun growing out of his head. Gatling Snake. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very Bill Sinkovich. 
mm. which will be both a, an advantage and a disadvantage to reading girl. as we as we carry on with yeah. the the issue. Mm. Um, the story goes: ex Foxhound member Solid Snake wakes up in a dark room in an unknown location after being attacked by a group of armed soldiers. With him in the room are Snake's former boss, Colonel Campbell, and Dr. Naomi Hunter, an expert in nanotechnology. Campbell has sent soldiers to capture Snake because Shadow Moses Island, a secret nuclear weapons disposal facility in the Alaskan Fox Archipelago, has been taken over by next-generation special forces, demanding the cell specimens containing the genetic information of a certain individual to enhance the next-gen forces. The body they want is of the greatest war of the 20th century. Big Boss, so they can create the perfect army of soldiers. Campbell informs Snake of who the terrorists are. Ex-members of Foxhound, Psycho Mantis, who has powerful psychic abilities, Sniper Wolf, a deadly sniper, Decoy Octopus, Master of Disguise, Vulcan Raven, Giant and Sherman, Revolver Ocelot, Specialist in Interrogation and a formidable gunfighter, and the leader, Liquid Snake. When Snake asks Campbell why he's involved with this mission, he's told that because he's the former squad commander, nobody knows Foxhound better than he does. But Snake questions this, and Campbell tells him the real reason is that his niece, Meryl, was on the island when it was taken over and is now being held hostage. Snake is then given his mission objectives. First, he's to infiltrate the island and rescue DARPA Chief Donald Anderson and Arms Tech President Kenneth Baker. Secondly, to investigate whether the terrorists actually have the ability to launch a nuke and stop them if they do. Before the mission starts, Naomi injects Snake with what she says is nanomachines that will stop him from freezing, improve his mental functioning and allow him to contact the backup team via codec. He then is launched from a submarine and reaches the island via SBD and swims into a small docking area to begin a top secret black ops mission. Upon reaching the docking area, Snake sees Liquid Snake leaving some guards as he takes the elevator above. Snake sneaks past the guard and takes the elevator up to the helipad outside of the main entrance. Campbell informs Snake that two F-16s have taken off from Galena as part of the diversionary operation and should be coming up on the terrorist radar. Liquid then takes off in the Hind D helicopter, which means that the Russians are somehow involved. After the helicopter takes off, Snake heads to the upstairs air vents and crawls through to the inside of the weapons storage building. Inside the vents, Snake hears two guards discussing the location of the DARPA chief and the woman in the cell, as well as an intruder who's using stealth camouflage. Yay! I'm I'm very surprised you got such an in-depth synopsis from this comic. A lot of it's dialogue. I was going to say, this took me at least three minutes to read. Uh, page one inadvertently made me laugh. Mm. Because the opening caption on the very first page is somewhere in the western United States. One of the opening narrations for Erwolf ran, Erwolf has been hidden somewhere in the western United States by its test pilot Stringfellow Hawk. That just made me laugh for that, for that reason alone. Well, page one already diverts from the game. After Metal Gear 2, as I said, Snake goes into hiding in the in Alaska and becomes a musher for the ten years he's there. Well, it's not an important, but it's a character beat that is mentioned a few times within the game. But here, he's in Western America. Yes. In a desert location. Doing not very much, by the looks of things. Yeah. Having a nap. Yeah. And pages three and four follow the game almost directly, art-wise. Featured within the main menu of the game is a series of videos for mission briefing, which are optional and only expand on what's been mentioned in the game. Um, these videos are all shown as though they're recorded on security camera, and they are almost copies it perfectly. 
This sequence in the comic is also based on the remake, The Twin Snakes, as in the original game, Snake has long blonde hair in these videos, but cuts and dyes it due to being identical to Liquid Snake, but in the Twin Snakes remake, he's short brown hair from the beginning. Okay. I can go with that. Yeah. Uh, Big Boss was the leader of Foxhound in Outer Heaven before being killed by a snake in Metal Gear 2. Uh, and pages 6 to 9 of the submarine and snake swimming to the island are all taken from the opening cinematic before the main menu. Yeah, well, a lot of the dialogue is taken straight from the game as well, yeah. which is why it was a bit of a surprise to me later on, which we'll probably get to in later issues, that an awful lot of the dialogue that expands on the characters and the, the world that is in the game is yeah. cut out of the comic. A lot of the codex sequences are cut out because they're the bits that you just read and listen to rather than watch. Yeah, well, see, that I would have thought that's the kind of thing they would have expanded on in the comics. Yeah, well, there's a lot less characterization in the comics. This is the summer blockbuster yeah, version. Yeah, the comics are absolutely quite a disappointment compared to the game. If I had just read these on their own, I thought they were pretty bad. Yeah. Reading them in conjunction with playing the game does give you a better idea of what they're trying to accomplish in the comic. Hmm. But the comic doesn't work without the game. Yeah. At least I don't think it does. What they should have done is what they did with the Silent Hill games. What did they do with that? Um, they did a series of mini-series that had nothing to do with the games and were just about new characters. Right. Uh, well, I think I made that note later on, so we'll, we'll get there as we, as we go along. I thought the art was really muddy. Yeah. I get that the artist, what's his name? Ashley Wood, yeah. was trying to be abstract and scratchy, but there are times where it makes the comic really hard to read. Yeah. I mean, as we get, I'll point it out when we get to a issue later on, I had to ask your mum, what the hell's happening on this page? And she didn't know. Mm. Well, Ashley Wood as an artist is really good, it's just not as a... I'm not saying that they're not, I'm not saying not that a, the art's bad. He's not a linear storyteller. Yeah, the sequential storytelling's awful. He released a book called, well, Ashley Wood's Art of Metal Gear Solid, where it was just a series of pin-ups. Which is probably fine. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in this, I found it really hard to go. Um, page 16, I did like that amidst all the muddy artwork and stuff, that we get a nice cleavage shot hmm. of the scientist girl. I thought that was... You know, it's nice to know that we've still got a bit of cheesecake <laughs> on display. Mm. DARPA stands for Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So it's like S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, the the DARPA chief, uh, Donald Anderson... Mm. That's uh, the guy he has to rescue, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, is in Metal Gear Solid 3 as Sigint uh, Naked Snake's backup. Doesn't he die in this? Yeah, it's set in 64. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. You just ruined the story, man. Sorry. <laughs> we'll mention it in an issue or two. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, page 18. The inclusion of Mei Link here is understandable, but also questionable. In-game, she tells Snake about the Soliton radar, which he uses as a map, and saves game progress. But since neither of those are needed to read the comic, she doesn't really serve much purpose. Oh, right. to flirt with Snake. Yeah. Well, they all flirt with him in the game. Oh, I cannot believe I've been hit on by these Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, because she's basically you get in touch with to save your game. Mm. Like you say. So, yeah, so in the comments she serves no purpose. So they could have cut her out quite easily and it not made any difference. Yeah. Right, okay, fair enough. Oh, if, you, if you have a problem with the flirting, wait till the end of the game. I don't have a problem with Everything's it. Everything's so beautiful. The ice, the sunset, the deer, and you, Meryl. Uh, don't think I want to know. <laughs> 
Um, pages 19 to 22 act like a guide to the game. And this happens several times during the series. It's fine, but it's very blatant that the, the comic is telling you where all the weapons are located and where the enemies are. Yeah, I've got exactly that same note. This just reads like the game. Snake finds a shaft, SOCOM, and an M9. Unlike the game, however, the comic doesn't bother explaining what these do up front. Uh, I looked it up, because I'm thorough. A shaft distracts radar-guided missiles, an M9's a semi-automatic Beretta pistol, and a SOCOM is something I don't know about. Well, a SOCOM... In the, in the game, it's a gun. Yeah. Well, a SOCOM is a variant USP manufactured by Heckler & Koch that includes the Merc 23 handgun, a laser sight, and suppressor yeah. built into it. because all of those things are in the game. The chaff you use to distract the ninja guy... It's just uses to um, turn off cameras and anything electronic. It, it disrupts electronic equipment, so it's yeah. like an EMP. Yeah. doesn't explain that here. He just blunders into a room and finds some stuff. Does he even use them in the comic? Uh, not, as far, not as far as I've read so far, as far as I can remember. I remember the bit later on where he just picks up the sniper and rocket launcher. So it's just the... Yeah. So in a game... In the game, you have to go through painstaking efforts yeah, to find you them. have to find these things hidden in doors somewhere. Yeah. And there's one bit that really would have infuriated me if you weren't there, where I had to do something, and then I would have had to go all the way back across the infrared wires. Yeah to get something that I needed because you were there you said go in that room and pick that up you'll need it later yeah. that would have annoyed the crap out of me mm. if I was playing it for real um, um, the gun in his hand looks nothing like a Beretta that's the SOCOM it he looks says, nothing like the SOCOM in the game it does does it it has the little brick bit underneath it I, don't, I didn't notice that. I thought that looked he never uses different. the Beretta no he doesn't does he he just uses the SOCOM all the time Mm. Right, okay. Uh, page 26, why does the art go colour when he gets out of the vent? I don't know. It's well, all like blues and scratchiness, and then suddenly it turns into colour. I say colour. He's outside in the snow. Oh, right. Now he's inside in his colour. The art's better on that page, it looks like art. Yeah. It doesn't look like he's just scribbled it. Mm. It's, uh, you know, it's alright. I thought the first issue was fine for what it is, which is an adaptation of a video game. Um, I've been playing the first game because you've told me to, and I had to. And this plays like that, or a film adaptation of, say, the plot's pretty simplistic, but you don't really need a complicated plot for a video game to be exciting. <laughs> I know in game, Metal Gear Solid is quite complex. Yeah. In terms of the way they've adapted it for this comic, it's not complex at all. It's the summer book, was It's it? pretty samey. Hmm. Um, I found the art too abstract and muddy to be effective. But from a story point of view, this this just plays like a Rambo movie. Yeah. It's got none of the, the subtlety, or even the complexity that the game has, no. because of all the background and all the characters and all the other mythology building yeah. that's gone into the game. This The comic dispenses with all of that. It's its own little story. That while stealing bits from the first game. Yeah. Essentially. Right. And that's only for the first... The first issue is very much an adaptation of the uh, game. Yeah. Later on it diverts a bit and adds bits. And takes bits away. Yeah. As well. It takes a lot away. It takes a lot away. Um, I did like that the back couple of pages were like a who's who. Yeah. The who's who of the Marvel universe and the who's who of the DC universe, but with, with Metal Gear. Which was quite useful for me. You did probably it? didn't need to know any yeah, of that yeah. stuff, did you? I did think it would have been more useful had that all been in the story properly. Mm. That may have been a bit more advantageous. But well, why wouldn't they have a backup instead? Yeah, so 
you know, because the story really didn't take that long to read. No. I have to say. And do you not get to the point where the issues start reading us um, a Batman, the, the 60s Batman, where at the end of an issue he'd get, uh, he'd, it'd be a cliffhanger. Oh, right. At the, yeah. be, at the beginning of the next one he gets out of it, By doing fights something. a bad guy, and then gets into another trap. Yeah, and it just goes from cliffhanger end <laughs> yeah. to cliffhanger end. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bit where it starts numbering the bosses for the issues. Does it? He fights one boss. Because I haven't read issue. this for six issues yet. Yeah. Right. Well, until it runs out of bosses. Until we get to the end. <laughs> nice to meet you, Snake. It's an honor to speak to a, a living legend like yourself. What's wrong? Nothing. I just didn't expect a world-class designer of military technology to be so cute. <laughs> You're just flattering me. No, I'm serious. Well, I know I won't be bored for the next 18 hours. Come on. I can't believe I'm being hit on by the famous Solid Snake. Um, yep. issue two? Issue two has only one coverage to the rest of the issues. Uh, this one has Revolver Ocelot, member of Foxhound, aiming his single action armies at the reader, about to show them why he's called Revolver. That was funny. It was. Because it's a quote. It's it's a, a, yeah, it's a quote. From the game. Strangely, Ocelot's wearing a hat on the cover, but never does in the games or comic. Yeah, it suddenly looks like they've turned it into a western. Yeah. He looks like Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. Oh, you know, no, you know who he looks like? Saying to kill us. Yeah. <coughs> who looks like Clint Eastwood? So, <laughs> yeah. I suppose that all works. Comes back. It all comes back to Clint. Yeah. Snake leaves the tank hangar and climbs the elevator down to the first floor basement, where the derp achieves being held, and climbs to the vent over the cells to reach him. Upon reaching an entrance to the cell, Snake drops down into it. The Derpa chief tells Snake that the terrorists do have the ability to launch a nuclear missile, and Snake says that they shouldn't have access to a missile due to the facility's installations. The chief tells him that this was only a cover story. What they were actually doing was conducting exercises with a new type of experimental weapon that has the ability to launch a preemptive strike from any location, a nuclear-equipped walking tank, Metal Gear. Metal Gear. That sounds better. <laughs> metal Gear. It can't be. Snake's reaction tells the Chief that Snake knows what Metal Gear is, despite it being a top-secret black project. So Snake tells him that he's run into it a few times before. Metal Gear. Rex is one of the products <laughs> of joint... It was a product of joint projects between DARPA and Arms Tech, but it's now in the hands of the terrorists and is probably equipped with a warhead now. A guard tells the Chief to shut up and Snake hides until he goes away. The chief tells Snake of a pal key, which needs different passwords to prevent the launch of Rex. Baker knows the other password, but the chief told Psychomantis his password. Another way to stop the launch is the three keys that Baker has. He tells Snake that Baker is being kept in the weapon storage below them, and that they've cemented the entrance to his location. The chief asks Snake how the Pentagon's reacting, but Snake doesn't know that the Pentagon was even involved. But before Snake can ask why, the chief dies of a heart attack. Campbell acts strangely towards the heart attack, and Snake wonders if he's hiding anything from him. Suddenly, Snake hears a noise outside, and the cell door opens. When he walks out, he sees a naked man knocked down on the floor. He's then held up from behind by a disguised soldier, who Snake notices is a rookie. He pulls his gun out and aims it at them, before three guards rush in the door and attack. Snake and the rookie take care of the guards, and the rookie runs away. Suddenly, Snake sees a vision of the terrorist looking at the dead body of the Darpa chief who died in front of Snake, in an unknown location, before his senses return. He avoids gunfire from the rookie who amasks herself in the elevator, and Snake knows that she's Campbell's niece. As the elevator ascends, so does Psycho Mantis, who appears in front of Snake and panics him. 
Snake heads to the second floor basement and bombs his way to Baker, who's alive but tied up to a pillar in the middle of the room. Snake notices that the wires are connected to C4 and is then shot by an unknown enemy. The enemy reveals himself as Special Operations Foxhound Revolver Ocelot. So, despite that big cover, he's only on the last page. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'd be a bit upset about that. Uh, page one, now he finds some thermal goggles in a story. The kind of thing you don't think twice about in a game. Of course, somebody's left some nuclear missiles lying around. Why wouldn't they? It's a nuclear disposal. Yeah. <laughs> but in a sequential narrative, this kind of sticks out as being terribly convenient. Yeah. Didn't it? I'm not slagging it off either. It is. They've not done a great job of taking the game and adapting it to another medium. No. He should perhaps have gone into more detail as to where he keeps getting all his supplies from. I've just found some of these. In the game, you accept that he'll just find stuff that he needs See, later I, on. I don't care that he finds stuff. I want to know where he keeps them. Yeah, because in the game, it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. You never give any thought to that in a game, do you? Where is he keeping all this stuff? Yeah. But in the comic, you, you are drawn to, well, where's he stuffed them? He seems to be wearing a skin-tight outfit. Mm. He doesn't have any unsightly bulges. <laughs> where's he keeping the goggles? Unless he keeps them on his head. Maybe. It's the best place to put them, really. Possible, yeah. Uh, page four, the panel of Meryl, um, looks a bit off. You see, in the game, she's exercising. Right. The comic makes her look like she's exercising something else. The comic makes her look like she's passed out. And the camera angle's right in between her legs. And she's got her legs open and yeah, isn't wearing any pants. It's a bit distasteful. Yeah. To be honest See, with you. In the game, she also doesn't wear any pants, but that's only if you enter and leave the vent four times. Why would you enter and leave the vent four times? Right, what happens is, uh, if you see her, she's doing an exercise. <laughs> yeah, leave, she's doing push-ups. And then go them. back in, she's doing another exercise. Yeah. And if you do that another couple of times, the next time you go in, she's, she's not wearing any pants. Why would she not be wearing any pants? Easter egg. It's, it's a Japanese game. Right, I'm surprised right, she's okay. wearing any clothes in the first place. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. And she's not hentai. Yeah. All over the place. Uh, page seven, Metal Gear looks just like ED209 from Robocop. Yeah. I'm sure there's got to be some copyright infringement or somewhere. <laughs> Pretty positive about that. Mm. Um, Rex in the comic. Is, is that who that is? Well, Metal Gear Rex. Right. Metal Gear. Um, it can't be. <laughs> it's based off Shinkawa's initial designs rather than the actual finished model that appears in game. Well, it looks exactly the same, but the arm turret is different. It looks like ED209. Well, no, the model looks the same, but the arm cannon. That bit, though. Yeah, in this, it kind of looks like a cannon, but in the other game, it's like these two pillars. Right, okay. So uh, so that's just... That was what appeared on the initial designs before the change. Right, so this... That's... Yeah, all right, fair enough. Um, Meryl has a tattoo on her arm of the original Foxhound logo from MDS and Metal Gear 2. Oh, can you tell that? It looks like mud. Because I've played the game. Ah, right. But here, yeah, it's not as... We well, can't really tell here, but no. you can tell she has something on her arm. She's got something on her arm. It could be one of those roses. So the fact that it's not incredibly detailed means why I put it on. Maybe that's the printing rather than the... I guess. The it, it, this is a art. dodgy copy because I got it from heinous means. Yeah. And then had to convert it from JPEGs to a... To CBR. Yeah. It's a strange looking Meryl as well. She looks nothing like... No, they the don't look anything though. like the one in the game. No. Um, page 9, this guy is dumb. Yeah. He hears Donald Anderson talking in his cell, and then he just tells him to shut up. 
Mm. He doesn't go in the cell and check it out. No, he just pops his head through the little slit in the doorway and then buggers off. Well, I find it hilarious how in the game Snake just moves to the side. In the comic, he jumps up over the wall and holds on the roof. Yeah, well, in the com- in the game, you can be stood right in front of them. Yeah. But as long as you're in shadow, they don't see you. Well, they have the little cones, so you can stand right behind them. Yeah, and as long as you, you don't move or anything, they don't yeah. notice that you're well, there. So it was a bit more credible than that. Well, the guard, I called suppose. Johnny, appears in all the games. He's a recurring character and he's a joke. Uh, in the first one, he appears a couple of times and has bad bowels. He needs to go for a poop all the time. Yeah. Um, and he's pretty stupid and gets dumped with all the thingy missions and gets left knocked out and naked. Yeah. Um, in is he the guy who's got a pixelated ass? Yeah. Right. In the second one, you don't see him, but you can hear him on the toilet with a bad belly. Right. In the third one, it's his dad who has a bad belly. Right. Who also um, watches the cells. And in the fourth one, he's a main character called Akiba, which in Japanese, well, is Japanese, which roughly translates to English as pants. Brilliant. I'm not joking here. Uh, I sh- you not. <laughs> Um, not a belief in this one. By the end of the game, marries Meryl. Does he? Yeah. Poor Meryl. You're a bit of a spoiler alert, though. Yeah, well, it's alright, it's okay. And uh, poops his pants. Well, actually, you can watch him poop his I pants. I don't want to, <laughs> to be honest with you. Not my thing. Yes. Um, a page 24 has a Bond reference. Is that the bullet the, thing? Yeah, the little yeah, bullet. The bullet thing. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, which introduces Ocelot and his obsession with the spaghetti, with spaghetti westerns, uh, is just one... Big is that the one reference. where they're just talking about from Russia with love all the time? There is a bit in it where it's like, um, oh, I don't really like James Bond. And um, his leader, Zero, who's a British, yeah. is like, what do you not like about Bond? He's, he's an exceptional character. It's a great story. He's riveting. You know what, Snake? We could have you fighting a fake snake and then turn around and it shoots tranquilizer darts at the enemies. <laughs> I do remember I popped through the room and they've been having a big long conversation yeah. from Russia with Lowe. Well, it starts off with a little sequence, um, which is a Bond sequence, and then it has a Bond-esque um, title song. Does it? Yeah, Snake yeah. Eater. Oh. And then it goes into your main story where he gets captured and interrogated. And That's that what you're ending the show with. Snake Eater, probably. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Snake, have you seen 007 from Russia with Love? Nah, I don't like those Real spies are nothing like James Bond. It's pure fantasy. Snake, I don't think the Major's going to like you saying that. And even though it's fiction, I can't help but comparing myself to Bond. What exactly don't you like about James Bond? I mean, is it the fantastic gadgets? The cars? The guns? Major. Snake, wouldn't you like to have a gun shaped like a pen? What good is a pen going to do me in the jungle? I'd look like a fool. Then what about a snake-shaped gun? You can make it look like you're grappling with a giant snake and then... Get a shot in on the enemy while they're distracted. Ah. Okay, now you're being ridiculous. We'll make you a snake-shaped gun that folds up and fits into an attaché case. Will you give it a rest? Oh, I get it. You're worried about how to handle the ladies, aren't you? No. I knew it. Hmm. To tell you the truth, I don't like the idea of playing hanky-panky with enemy femme fatales either. But that's part of Bond's appeal. You could learn a thing or two from him. I mean, what about this Eva? What are you planning to do with her? I... uh... I don't even trust her yet. Now, that's not what I mean. You you can't let yourself get involved. This is a game of spy versus spy. She's using you just as much as you're using her. I realize that. You've got to grab the initiative. And to do that, you have to get the upper hand in the relationship. That's what a spy is supposed to do. Get the upper hand? I don't think I'm cut out for that mission. 
Maybe if you change your code name to 00 Snake. Teacher. 007 is the biggest thing to come out of England since the Mayflower. I wouldn't be surprised if they made 20 more of those movies. Didn't you know? The Major is a huge James Bond fan. Don't get him worked up like this. Worked up? Maybe you don't realize this, but now that you've got him started talking about Bond, I'm going to have to listen to him lecture for a whole hour after he gets off the radio. You have my sympathy. It's too bad you can't enjoy such a great movie, though. I guess I'm just one of those people who can't enjoy spy flicks. Uh, this was alright, I suppose. The story's amping up, although I suspect if you played the game it all seems a bit pointless. As it does suffer from rather cardboard characters with motivations that run the gum up from A to A. Uh, it's fine in the game, but as a sequential narrative you need a bit more. Yeah. I'm kind of enjoying playing the game more than it's I'm enjoying reading the comic. Street Fighter the comic. Yeah. You said you enjoyed playing the game... You wouldn't think that from watching you play the game. Oh no, bro, I'm like that with games anyway, aren't I? I'll there sit there with this is crap. I can't do this. <laughs> what the? What do you mean I have to go all the way back to the beginning? But I'm like that with every game. I'm just very impatient. Well, there is, that, yeah. Is what it is. But I'm enjoying the game. The, the comic seems to be lacking something. Mm. Maybe it's the, it's the Civil War version. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's no. Let's not go there. Issue number three. Um the cover of issue three shows the cyborg ninja who is in the this issue. So I guess by the time you're looking at this cover you don't know who he is unless you play the game. That's true. Yeah. Um looking at the uh, reader holding his sword. What's what's he doing with his hands? Showing off. Why would he hold a sword like that? He's in traditional sword pose with the sword held in such a way. But has his fist outwards. But his fist is outwards, so that doesn't make any sense. But the sword's running across the top of his head like you you would hold a sword, I suppose. But the other hand is not on the hilt of the sword. Like you would normally have both hands on it's, the hilt of the sword. Yeah, across. His other hand is across over his mouth. And it just looks like that would be an incredibly uncomfortable position to actually be in. Maybe. Well, he's a cyborg ninja, so... Yeah, it, it doesn't actually make sense. He's ballet in the game. Yeah, well, he's, he's irritating in the game. <laughs> oh, I want to feel pain. Hit me and kill me. Well, stand still, then! That hand-to-hand combat. It is the basis of all combat. Oh, God, yeah, that really got on my tits <laughs> after an hour. <laughs> um, what's the story, Morning Glory? A snake and Ocelot fight whilst Baker panics that he'll be blown up. Before Ocelot can fire the final shot, his hand is cut off and the wires surrounding Baker are also cut. The invisible enemy reveals himself as a cyborg ninja who Ocelot somehow knows. Ocelot escapes and the ninja turns to Snake. The ninja jumps away and attacks Snake from behind. Snake then turns and begins to fight back. And that is it. That's, yeah, this, this is one long fight scene. Which makes sense, because in the game it's one long fight scene. But yeah. in the game you just run around in circles, <laughs> yeah. trying to shoot the guy before he shoots you. Mm. There's not really a lot to it. What I find interesting is on page one, it has a recap, whereas the rest of them don't. Yeah, the rest of them don't bother, do they? No. Which seems a bit strange. But Because uh, even in this, he stood in the middle of that thing that in the game you can't go near or you die. Well, which yeah. which didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I do like that he's got kind of a Clint Eastwood S monologue. This is the greatest handgun ever made. The Colt single action army. Six bullets, more than enough to kill anything that moves. Do you feel lucky, punk? You're about to find the real reason why they call me Revolver. <laughs> Special Operations Fox Hound. Revolver Ocelot. 
been waiting for you, Solid Snake. Now we'll see if the man can live up to the legend. This is the greatest handgun ever made. The Colt's single action army. Six bullets, more than enough to kill anything that moves. Now I'll show you why they call me... Revolver. Draw! <laughs> There's a bit... Um, there, I, what is interesting is... Um, like I've said Snake Eater many times, but that's the origin story essentially. Yeah. And Ocelot, he's young, he's about 20-ish at the time, and he's ridiculously stupid. Oh, okay. And he keeps messing up, and he's trying to be cool and badass, but messes up every time. And he's heard of this trick where you throw the bullet in the barrel and fire it that way, but it has a higher risk of um, jamming. And I tr- wonder why. He tries this on Naked Snake, who becomes Big Boss, and he just takes the nick out of him, saying, oh, you shouldn't have tried something you only read about in, in um, combat or anything. And he's, he, then he gets his six-action armour, single-action armour, and then he just keeps going on about reload and how good it feels to reload in the middle of battle, and all of it is dialogue that was originally done in the first game. Right, yeah, because like, he talks about that in the game. Yeah. He does that whole reload in the middle of it. Mm. And it gets a bit irritating. Does the boss fight act exactly like it? It um, takes place on two sides of this little cliff thing. Yeah. And you, you essentially run around, and he'll just like shoot at you and then reload and say how good it is to reload. Yes. In every game, he gets a new gun. Does he? See, in the first one, he has one gun. Right. In the second one, he has two guns. Right. Even though he's got his arm cut off. But Even though he has one arm. I won't tell you why until we finish this one Um, and then in the third one despite it being before the first one he has three guns okay that makes perfect sense and then in the fourth one he doesn't have any guns at all but he controls everyone else's guns nano machines moving on Uh, pages (laughs) one through six this issue opens up with a gunfight that is supposed to be this huge confrontation between snake and revolver ocelot that is absolutely ruined by the art it's great pin-up art it's crap sequential storytelling I mean, look at page seven. Page seven, though. Without invoking the game or anything from the game, just looking at that page, tell me what's going on. Well, they're both shooting at each other, but they've got shots as good as stormtroopers. Yeah, there's loads of close-ups of expressionless faces and of guns, but there's no storytelling. It's just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. They keep shooting each other with unlimited ammo, but don't hit each yeah, other. Yeah, what's going on? Who's under threat? Who's winning? Who's losing? Where are they? What yeah. position are they in the room? Are they taking cover? Are they not taking cover? It's it's crap storytelling. He's just stood there. He's got. He's looked at the game and got right. They run around in circles and shoot. So how can I do that in a comic? I know I won't bother. <laughs> Seems to be what he's done. In the game, this is a moderately tense, exciting bit. If over long and irritating, mm. if you've got my patience and attention span. <laughs> but in the comic, it's just quite bad. Yeah. Um, page eight. Um, well, I think we're going off different page numbers, really. Yeah, don't matter. Um, Ocelot saying Snake has the same codename of the boss can now have two meanings. Within the context of just this one story, it means Liquid Snake, who is Ocelot's boss. But within the overall story, it can mean Naked Snake, the firmer codename of Big Boss, as after um, their original antagonistic, well, not ad- opposing views, right, I was just become, on the page. Um, become rather close allies. Right. 
Okay, fair enough. See, the best buddies in the new game. Are they? Yeah. Well, they've kissed and made up, have they? Uh, well, after seeing some of the fan images from the first one. <laughs> I don't want to know. Carry on. Um, in page 9, Ocelot gets his right hand cut off. Now, pay attention, because the artist <laughs> doesn't. Did you notice in the issue how it changes to his left yeah, hand? Yeah, it changes to his left hand, depending on what he's doing. Yeah. And I love that the, the blood's just shooting. He's <laughs> gushing yeah. out of his severed arm. There's moments like this where it is <laughs> um, the Twin Snakes remake rather than the first one. Yeah. it is very over the top. It's, yeah... Mm. Again, I didn't quite understand what was happening in the bottom of that page. I mean, I think it might be this fight in the Twin Snakes where Snake runs on the bullets. Right. He does a, a that Matrix makes bullet sense. time run over the bullets. Alright, we'll see. And you buy that in a game? Well, you don't realise oh, Alright, okay, so fair enough. <laughs> uh, page 11. Uh, in the middle of the battle, the invisible enemy shows up and hacks off a limb, which is convenient for Snake. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to actually fight him now. Because he's cut his arm off. Um, the design of the invisible enemy. What's his proper name? Cyborg Ninja. Cyborg what's Ninja. the name given to him? We've not. Right. We don't know. We don't he know is his proper name. Yeah. Is actually pretty cool and much more what I expect of from a Japanese game. Is that the one you've got a doll of? No, that's Raiden, who's right. introducing the second one and becomes a right. new Cyborg Ninja. Ah, oh, right. I see. Um, the, the Cyborg Ninja actually, um, Shinkawa, the game designer, has said he's his favourite character to draw and design. He's a good he's a very good design. I like he's a bit like Deadshot. Yeah. From DC, isn't he? Not as colourful, he's more in a, an all silver deal. But his mask is very similar to Deadshot. He's all silver in this, but in the game he's blue and orange. So yeah, there's a lot of well, colour taken out of it. Well, this is practically black and white in many <laughs> yeah. cases, isn't it? But I liked his design. I thought he was really good. Mm. Um page 15 the seeds are beginning to be planted here for who the cyborg ninja is now one of my problems with this game is that the player is expected to know who the person is uh, which they wouldn't if they hadn't played the original two Metal Gears and this translates to the comics as well in the game like I said it comes with previously as you can read which yeah. recap and when game. you reload every time it asks you do you want the previously yeah so even if you hadn't played the original two, you still know who all the characters is, including who this character is because he has appeared before. Yeah, I like his design work. He didn't he didn't really do a lot. The last mm. third of this issue is just a different fight scene from the beginning third. Yeah, but I quite liked it. It's the fact that it's so fast paced helps with the story, such as it is. But the art is still a real hindrance. It's good in that abstract Bill Senkovich kind of way. It's crap at depicting what's happening. Mm. <coughs> it's too muddy and the colour palette is murky. And it's really affecting my enjoyment of the comic. Mm. The The game is much more comic book looking than yeah. the comic is. The yeah. comic's infuriating because of the artwork. You know what we, 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 might, we should do and see if it's any better? What? Watch the animated comics. Yeah, and see if they're better than these. Because um, they're releasing a legacy collection which collects all of them. Yeah. And it includes the two animated comics for one and two, but redone for Blu-ray. Right. So, might so be they may be watch. better than this, yeah. yeah. Uh, the final fight scene that takes place here and in the following issue is not in the game. The fight between Snake and the Ninja happens a bit later. Does it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he gets away from... It's in the office. Ocelot, and then yeah. goes and does something else, doesn't he? Mm. Right, so they cut a big chunk of the game out there. Right, well, they're not, it. but they, they swap it. They have two fights with a ninja rather than just the one. Right. Okay. Four days. Mm. Issue four. Uh, issue four. Um, the cover of issue four shows the next 
uh, Foxhound boss fight Vulcan Raven. He's kind of stood there with a big tank on his back. Yeah. It's not very good, is it? It's alright. It's alright right. you know. if you know who he is, I suppose. Yeah. He's not in the game, he's big and giant and... Stupid. Alaskan. Yeah. There's a bit in the game where he... Cause is he the guy driving the tank? Yeah. Right. This is Vulcan territory. Right, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Don't look anything like him. It's a bit later on where you have to fight him one-on-one. Right. In person. And he says, you are Alaskan too. And Snake's like, yeah. And he's like, well... Very <laughs> well, tough in Alaska. Wait, wait, wait. That's what he says. It's like, have you ever heard of the Alaskan ice trials Olympic sport? Snake's like, yeah, I was a musher. Okay. And he goes, have you ever done the... Uh, um, ear pulling uh, it's, it's a, a strength of a test of strength it's like and endurance and this thing just goes you wanna pull each other's ears <laughs> you live in Alaska too you know of the world Eskimo Indian Olympics yeah I know it must be a real threat in the muck duck eating contest yes you are right but there is another event that I excel at it is called the ear pull it is an event where two opponents pull each other's ears while enduring the harsh cold. It tests spiritual as well as physical strength. You want to pull each other's ears? <laughs> anyway, she fought. <laughs> the ninja has a panic attack and escapes. The snake returns to Baker, who believes Snake has been sent by Jin Houseman in the Pentagon. His name is important. Right. Baker tells Snake that he told terrorists his code after being tortured due to Mantis not being able to read his mind due to brain implants that everyone has. Snake questions this as Donald Anderson, the Derpy Chief, told him that Mantis read his mind. Snake asks where Baker's override cards are, and is told that he gave them to Merrill. Baker also tells him that he should find Dr. Emmerich, the scientist who designed Rex. He then gives him the optical disc that contains Rex's test data and tells him to hurry up and return and get to Jim Houseman in the Pentagon because of what might happen if Rex comes out to the public. This confuses Snake because Rex uses currently existing technology and Baker says that yes it does, but something else about Rex doesn't. But can't say what exactly because a heart attack cuts him off and Baker tells Snake in his dying breath that they are using him. Snake speaks to his backup team via codec and more shifty reactions from Campbell lead Snake to question him. On his way to the tank hangar and out of the nuclear warhead storage building, Snake contacts Merrill, who opens the door leading to outside for him and tells him that the island is actually owned by an arms tech dummy corporation and isn't a disposal facility at all, and that this was to be the final test for Rex. When Snake reaches outside, he's contacted by a deep throat. He tells him about the mines outside before Snake's attacked by a tank being driven by Vulcan Raven. This is Raven's territory. Snakes don't belong in Alaska. I will not let you pass. Um, page one's god awful. But well, what's going on? It's, it's alright, is it? Where's the definition of the different figures? Why does the background flow into the figures? Why is the colouring so blare? What's going on? He looks like he's being crucified. <laughs> What's he doing though? Jumping up. The ninja is. I think. So, yeah. And is that snake? The snake's kind of turning around. Yeah. And the ninja's jumping up. It's not very good, is it? I guess. Let's be honest. <laughs> that one's not even good as a piece of art. Snake's got one foot that's much bigger than the other one for a start. 
<laughs> it's just well, these know, slippers from swimming in the first issue. Oh, not taken them off yet. Oh, yeah. right, fair enough. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Again, the art's a bit murky in the fight scenes, and you can't really tell what's going on. And then all of a sudden, it'll just switch to pencils. It has done a few times. Yeah, but sometimes, like there on page seven, it's fine when it switches. Is that Meryl? Yeah, you're right. When it switches to Meryl, that's actually quite good and proves the guy can draw. Yeah, because that's a perfectly defined face. I'm not sure about the her, <laughs> but the face is perfectly defined, so that feels okay. But I'm not sold on Ashley Woods's artwork. I'm sorry. It's pin-up art. Yeah, but he, I, don't, he has I don't want that when I'm reading a story. He has done other comics, which are much better because they're more of his pencils. Right, okay, fair enough. Um, the dialogue about finding Meryl's codec frequency on the back of the game box has been removed for obvious reasons, because it's a comic and doesn't come in a box. Yeah. That would have uh, infuriated you playing it digitally. Yes, like, where's the box? Yeah. How do I get the code? That would help. Mm. But you were able to get the code from it. So it's a little neat fine. bit of metatextuality which is, happens a few times within the games. Yeah. Um, the scene of uh, Raven talking to his Raven um, has Poor been added Raven. for the comic. In the game, Snake just goes outside and he's attacked by a tank. Whereas in this, Vulcan Raven is watching from above and waiting for him. Yeah, there's no Edgar Allan Poe quotation in the, in the game. No. As far as I know. Although I may not have got to the end yet. Um, it's just, it starts feeling a little bit like the Sinister Six. Oh, I spent ages going fighting the tank in the game, didn't it? Yeah. Which is the back end of this issue. Uh, it feels like the Sinister Six, and Snake keeps fighting a bad guy, and then the bad guy gets away, and then he fights another bad guy, and then the bad guy gets away, and then he fights another bad guy. The artwork, I don't want to keep banging on, but it's really interfering with my enjoyment of the story, and there are places where it's so abstract, and the colouring's so muddy, I can't actually tell what's going on. Mm. I did like the last page with Snape being blown up. I thought that was quite <laughs> funny. Well, there's a little character beat which carries on into the next issue that isn't in the game. Yeah. And the game just avoids the missile, no problem. But it makes he just gets blown up and... You say no problem, I say that took me an hour. In the cinematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you're not playing him. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm specifically... Yeah, yeah. I'm not specifically playing. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... In the in the comic, he just gets blown up by the tank constantly before he just turns around and blows it up. Yeah, it just leading to a cliffhanger ending that didn't really make an awful lot of sense. In fact, he spends like ten pages in this getting beaten up by yeah. the tank. And then the, the raven shows up. Anyway. Yeah, the opening to this is just one long big tank fight scene. Blowing our loads too early. Issue yeah. 5, yeah. We've not talked about issue 5, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, the cover to issue 5 is of Solid Snake looking moody against a black and white wall. <laughs> Meh. <laughs> That's all I've got to say about Maybe that a one. Neat poster. Have a look at the covers on the website, lovely listener, and tell us what you think of them. Um, Snake manages to hide in the snow and surprises Vulcan Raven by throwing a grenade inside the tank. That's the first seven pages. Yeah. <laughs> Michael summarises the first seven pages there in one sentence. Because he spends six of those seven pages being beaten Yes, the tank. yes, he does. This, these are all true facts. <laughs> a snake walks into the disposal building. Raven climbs out of the tank. Inside, Snake finds a PSG-1 sniper rifle and a Nikita missile. He finds these, by the way. Yeah, they're just the... Yes. The Nikita is a remote-controlled rocket launcher, and is then contacted by Master Miller, one of Snake's old friends, by a codec. Master Miller is kind of important, which is why it's confusing he's introduced so late on. On Snake's way down to Emmerich's office, Ocelot, Raven and Liquid discuss Snake's fate. On the way to the office, Deep Throat contacts Snake again and warns him of the gas and electrical floor, so Snake uses the key to destroy the high-voltage switchboard on the other side of the office. 
but the floor safe snake makes his way to Emmerich's office without knowing about the several guards in the room next to him outside the office. A snake encounters the guards that are being killed by an invisible enemy. The enemy reveals itself as the ninja and turns to Emmerich. Snake stops him from killing the doctor and the two begin to fight. The doctor! The doctor. He's called Dr. Emmerich. Oh, right. So not the doctor. The doctor, yeah. And he's not going to regenerate, is he? No. no. Okay, fair enough. He regenerates into Otacon. Does he? <laughs> they wouldn't see that coming. Uh, um, in the game, as I said, Master Miller is introduced much earlier on. He's introduced um, in the vent on the way to the tank hangar. Miller was introduced in Metal Gear 2 and recently appeared alongside Big Boss in Peace Walker and Metal Gear Solid 5. Which does kind of question his age because... There's a 20, 30 year gap in between both of them games, so he looks exactly the same. Maybe he's just got very good genes. Or maybe you will find out why he looks the same age later on. Oh, right. It's a plot point. There is a plot point. I see. Uh, page 11, I actually found was quite interesting in that there's actual character and dialogue yeah. between all the fighting. It's dialogue that's lifted pretty much straight from the game. Well, this isn't in the game, that's a. The stuff about there's the game. Oh, yeah, there's the, bits of it, yeah. Is. But this scene itself isn't. No, the scene itself isn't, but some of the dialogue is lifted from the game. Mm. But I actually quite like these two pages because of that. Yeah. All the stuff about the see you, the see you snake. It's yeah. an animal to be feared. That's in the game. Yeah. But I quite like this because it felt like we didn't just go from one fight scene to the next fight scene. Mm. We actually got a bit of character development. Well, yeah. we actually got a bit of characters talking to each other <laughs> in between all the carnage. Which, you know, is quite a nice occasional. Yeah. Uh, pages 15 to 22 are more obvious than in the game. In the game, Snake walks down the corridor uh, to the office and hears the dying soldiers and sees the dead bodies after the fact. The violence is never seen, whereas in the summer blockbuster comic, all yeah. the violence is shown and over the top. Where they cut the top of the guy's head off and it slowly slides off. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was very uh, Saw mm. or Jason Voorhees, wasn't it? Yeah. I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> um, the comic also doesn't mention Emmerich wetting himself when he hides in the locker. No, which they make a big deal out of in the game, don't they? Yeah. I mean, it's reflected in the second one when you find his sister and she wets herself. Delightful. Yeah. Good, good. good. They, they have a history of wetting themselves. Apparently they're bed wetters. Yeah, yeah. The Emmerichs. Or right. locker wetters since they both since pee they in a locker. Them. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um... I don't really have much different to say about this on an issue-by-issue basis. Some of the violence in this was pretty funny. The guy getting the top of his head sliced off was nicely graphic. But it's pretty much ramping up to the conclusion. It's not bad. I'm not disliking reading it. In fact, it's quite fun, like Michael says, in that summer blockbuster way. But I'm not really caring about any of the characters or the mission. It's one of those series that seems a bit slavish in certain areas to what it's adapting in this case, I think the game would have been better adapted if they'd taken certain characters from the game and done a different story with them. Yeah. Or done more on the backstory mm. and why he quit There's, and stuff. But you said that was all that in the was, previous yeah. game. There is a story in Metal Gear Solid 2 issue 0, which was written by Matt Fraction. Yeah. It's only six pages long, mostly dialogueless, and it's just a fight scene. So Matt Fraction didn't do a lot of that. Not really. Alright, fair enough. And the art's still variable. Mm. I don't think my opinion on that's going to change at this point, do you? Probably not. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Mm. Uh, moving on to issue six. Um, issue six's cover is of Snake and the Cyborg Ninja facing each other. It's not 
very good. We'll have colour. Colour? Yeah, but it's all one colour. <laughs> There's not multiple <laughs> colours there. It's like we've got red, and then a bit more red, with a dash of red, just to set it yes, off to some the, red. The different shades of red, you know, it's all about the shade. Oh yeah, there's yeah. a dark red, there's a, there's a red red, there's a light red, there's some white and red, and a bit of red. What do you mean you don't like red? <laughs> Can't see red! I want some more colours, it's got red on it! Red, 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 lovely red, beautiful red! Can't eat spam, eat spam, egg chip, spam, can't, red. Can't eat red spa, uh, spam. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> what happens in number six, Michael? Cyborg Ninja tells Snake that he wants to fight to the death, so Snake shoots him. <laughs> Indiana Jones style. Until he realises that he cannot beat him with a weapon, and so they fight hand to hand, as it is the basis of all combat. Oh, Only a fool no. trusts his life with a weapon. How many times did I have to sit through that bit yesterday? <laughs> as the ni- well, well, we'll see later yeah, on. Yeah, as he cuts the season. As the ninja talks, Snake is shocked when he realises that the man he's fighting died in Zanzibar land. The ninja doesn't remember Zanzibar at all and panics before running out of the room. As he leaves, Snake knows who he is, Grey Fox. Campbell doesn't believe it, as he witnessed Snake kill him himself, but Naomi tells both of them that the casualties of Zanzibar land were used as experiments for the gene therapy um, experiments, including Grey Fox himself. As Fox runs away, he encounters Psycho Mantis, who tells him that he's a broken man after killing her family. Meanwhile, Snake interrogates Emmerich over Rex. Emmerich says that Rex was designed for defensive purposes only, which angers Snake, as he knows it's being fitted with a nuke. Emmerich is confused as he only designed it to be defensive, and Arms Tech changed its purpose without him knowing. Emmerich tells Snake that Rex is in the maintenance building north of the communication towers, and then changes his name to Otacon, because he can. As he leaves, Meryl contacts him and tells him where she is. As he heads to the woman's bathroom where she located, Ocelot, Liquid and Mantis discuss Snake, Emmerich and Grey Fox before Mantis leaves to fight Snake, who is just being held up at gunpoint in the toilets. Ottercom sounds like a comic convention in Ottawa. Well, <laughs> you're close. <laughs> <Am I? laughs> Alright, fair enough. Can you not pay attention to that blatant character development? When? When he changed his name to Ottercom. What reason is there for Otacon? Oh, I'll explain. Oh, right, okay. Oh, should I explain now? Go on, then. Well, um, the comic glosses over the reasons why he changed his name to Otacon. Right. Uh, but he does it because um, he got into building robots and stuff, and Otacon is the name of an anime convention. Right. Or otaku convention. Right, Otacon, yeah. I yeah. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he even says from the game. And he was inspired to, to build robots and stuff because of animes. During his speech in game, it shows footage from Kojima's earlier game, Police Knots. Whereas in the Twin Snakes, it plays Kojima's other game, Zone of Enders. Both games have posters of the respective games in Otacon's office. Right, okay, that makes so much sense. So that, that page four, where he's got his meta-commentary line about this is like something out of my anime movies, Yeah, that's referring to Otacon. Right. And Otaku is like an obsessor of Japanese anime. Right, okay. The ninja's a bit of a sadomasochist, though, isn't he? A little oh, bit. Oh, please hurt me! Please hurt me! Oh, 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 again, <laughs> again, hurt me! That punch! Yeah. Do you remember the feeling of broken bone and sinew? Yes. 
yes, I thought that was all, all a little bit silly. Hurt me, snake. Hurt me more, dog. <laughs> <laughs> they did... Bring in the gimp. They did um, a parody called Metal Gear Awesome, where this fight scene is... Um, they, they take the mick out of um, the Cyborg Ninja right. having the same voice actor as the Derpa Chief. Right. So despite Grey Fox being white, he has a black voice. And it's kind of blatant because it's the stereotypical black voice, really. Right. So in in the, this parody cartoon, he's like, "Snake, hurt me, dog, hit me more." You <laughs> 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 should have got Ving Rams to do the voice. Yeah. Snake, hurt me a lot, please. What? More snake, hurt me more, dog. Whoa, holy! Shit. I'm so. Crazy! Fox. Um, Grey Fox, like I said, was introduced in Metal Gear, and was revealed to be working alongside Big Boss, but Snake considered him to be his only friend until he met Colonel Campbell. In Metal Gear 2, Snake and Grey Fox fight, um, first with Fox inside the Metal Gear D, and then to the death on a minefield in a hand-to-hand combat, and Snake killed Fox. Right. Or at least he thought he did until this. But he's back. Yes. Uh, page 14 is an example of a retcon that happened several times with this game and the rest of the franchise. Dr. Clark, who Naomi said was the leader of the gene therapy experiments, is described as a man, as he is in also in the game. But in Metal Gear Solid 3, which I've said several times, is the origin story to the franchise. Um and the questionable sequel to MGS3 Peace uh, Portable Ops, um, it retcons this game by having her be a woman, known as Paramedic. Right. Um, the experiments are part of the Patriots' experiments, um, but the Patriots themselves won't be revealed until the next game. So how far in advance has he had this planned out? No idea. Right. Uh, yeah, is I'm he sure. just making it up as he goes along? Probably, he might be doing a George Lucas check because he retcons it for a bit. Right. But he has said that 2 was his last game. And, and then he did a third one. Sense. And then he said the fourth one would be his last game. And now there's a fifth one. But now there was two... Yeah, there was another one after that, which... Because the way he's working is, if Konami want more games, then he's making them big boss games. Right. Because there won't be any more all, um, Solid Snake games. Because 4 was the last one. Right, until the money runs out. So, what he keeps doing is he keeps going back to Big Boss. So, MGS3 was about Big Boss. Portable Ops, which isn't canon anymore, is about Big Boss. Peace Walker is about Big Boss. MGS5 is about Big Boss. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very confusing. Yeah. Says he who understands the intricacies of comic book continuity. <laughs> I was never confused by pre crisis Superman continuity, but this Metal Gear Solid stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, pages 17 and 18, the conversation between um, Psycho Mantis and Grey Fox are also new and foreshadow um, character beats that happen much later on in the game. Right. Um, Snake turning gay from Mantis's power and the conversation about Meryl's ass are also removed from the comic. And Meryl tells Snake where she is rather than the player actually having to look at the behinds of several guards yeah, until they find her. To find out who she is. In the game, she's the only woman. a lot of bit... Of, I mean, there's very there's a lot of close-ups. Snake and Otacon have a full, in-depth conversation about her behind. Well, it's Japanese. And man. then you have to go around looking at guards' butts. That's delightful. And since she's the only female character in the game... I like big butts and I cannot lie. And then once you find her, she runs off and hides. Right, fair enough. 
Uh, this was better. There wasn't as much padded fight scenes in this one. And it starts to feel like a proper espionage thriller instead of a series of set pieces ripped off from the game. The whole conspiracy backstory was nicely developed in this comic rather than just having them throw in a few vague references in between fights. I still think the art style's meh. But it is making more sense doing the game at the same time you read the comic, which kind of implies the comic doesn't stand on its own. Mm. But, you know, that's just me. What do you think of the comics? I don't know, I read them and I think you kind of have to be in that certain mind of frame with them because you've said several times it's the blockbuster version yeah and they're not very complex because what it kind of suffers because if you read it on its own it's not all that great because you need to I think you need to rely on the game yeah to understand it but then when you're playing the game you realise, wow, this is so much better than the comic. Yes, the game is a lot better than the comic. I mean, I've took the mick out of the game mercilessly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, the um, Cyber Ninja boss fight, um, you tried several times, we yes. recorded you play that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think we'll slide some in here. So that will probably be in the show, yeah, I would yeah. imagine. So how many times have you done this boss fight? 408. You counted. Boring me now. Now, make me feel it. Make me feel alive again. Well, just let me beat you. That's not the point of it. It's supposed to be two brothers fighting each other and fighting to the death and honour. I didn't know we were clean on. It is a good day to die. Where does that sword go? It is the basis of all combat. How many times have I played this? I don't know. F*** off! The controls on this are crap. F*** off! That's it. So, the whole point of this is he wants to feel, so he wants you to beat him up, so now he turns invisible. Making a challenge out of it. I don't want to challenge out of it, I just want to kick crap out of it. Oh. I hate this game, it's crap. <laughs> now I have to do all this again. Yeah, make me feel it. Snake! The gameplay's crap. Come on. Blah, blah, blah. Get in! See, how come one hit from him knocks me flat out? Well, that's not right. Because he's a cyborg ninja. You're I don't give a rat's ass if he's a cyborg ninja. The whole point of the game should be fur fight. Well, there's a fur fight. It's hand to hand. The basis of all combat. Yeah, basis of all combat, my ass. Get off! This game sucks! Yeah. Make me feel it. No. How'd you throw? Off! Why can't they just stab him through the head? Surely that would be more fun. Instead of just constantly in the same level. No. Blah, 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 blah. It is the basis of all combat. Only a fool trusts his life to a weapon. Off! Oh, go away. This sucks. This sucks because I say it sucks. Not for any critical reason. Oh, you didn't land on me then! Oh, f*** off. Game over. Snake! 
I still think it'd be much easier if I could just shoot him in the head. Uh, right, well, we'll wrap this Metal Gear Solid story up next week. Six more issues and uh, more of me banging my head against the player station as I'm playing on the game. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt. Um, so we'll see you next week. It was yeah. rather abrupt ending, wasn't it? It was, actually. Yeah, well, we'll know where we can go, really. It's a cliffhanger, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So, see you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. <laughs>